The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 12. And uh, I'd ask you to stand as we read God's word just for a moment. And I'll begin reading at verse number 12, John chapter 12, verse 12. And on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him. And that they had done these things unto him. The people therefore that was with him. When he called Lazarus out of his grave. And raised him from the dead. Bear record. For this cause the people also met him. For that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees themselves said among themselves. Perceive ye how ye prevailed nothing. Behold the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, came therefore, to Philip, with which, uh, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together today. I pray, Lord, as we preach your word, that you would be glorified in all that will be said. And Lord, I pray that only those things that you would desire to be said would be done. Thank you, Lord, for this time and all the people that are here. I ask now that you bless and and use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We come to this passage of Scripture. And it, it is here in this place that, that, that we focus our attention today. Jesus has come to, uh, to, the, to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And as he enters the city, he is met by an entourage of, of people who lay palms before him and, and proclaim him as king. The Pharisees didn't, this didn't sit very well with them. They didn't enjoy this too much. So we, we come to a place here where uh, we see the Lord and, and we see a lot of people, which we usually do when we see the Lord. And, uh, and it, this passage makes mention of Lazarus. And Jesus, of course, rose, uh, rose Lazarus from the dead. We all remember that, right? That's a familiar story to all of us. And there are many details in this passage of scripture this morning. Many, many, many channels by which I could launch off to, to preach a sermon this morning. But I'm going to focus 
on two verses. I'm going to focus my message this morning on verses 20 and 21. Let's read those again, if you would. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, there were certain Greeks present, we read. We don't, it doesn't say which Greeks, just that there were a certain group of Greeks that were there. These were Gentiles, and they desired to see Jesus. Now, you see, the Gentiles weren't allowed to participate in the feast with the Jews. So these, these Greeks would have come to the, to the city and would be, would be partaking of the feast, but they would not be with the Jewish people. They would be separate and on their own. But they desired to see Jesus. This much we know. Now the scripture does not reveal their motive for wanting to see Jesus. Could it be that they were believers and desired to fellowship with him? Could it be that they were unsaved and led by the Spirit to seek Jesus and desire to know more about him? Or were they just fanboys? Were they just simply drawn to Jesus because of the many miracles Jesus had performed? By the way, there are a lot of fanboys in America today. There are a lot of fanboys in churches today. But that's not my message. I cannot even begin to suppose their motives in this passage. I have no idea what their motive for seeing Jesus was. No more than I can know the motive of anyone here today. Or anyone that I will meet today. I I can't know the motive in their heart. I can't know that. But this much I do know. I do know that they came to the disciple of Christ... For their answer. They came to Philip. Did you see that in verse, uh, which one? Verse number 20. The same came therefore to Philip, which, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. They came to a disciple of Christ. This focuses an importance upon you and I as disciples of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we read, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are to be prepared. We are to be ready for, just as Philip, these Greeks came to Philip. Now I want you to notice something, and this is not a slap at Philip, but what did Philip do? Look at verse number 22. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip told Jesus. See, now, now, Philip, give Philip a break, okay? He didn't have the full Bible yet. He hadn't been taught all the, all the doctrines of the church yet. So, so the, these men come to Philip and say, we would see Jesus. In other words, they came to Philip and said, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And Philip, Philip says, hold on, hold on. And he runs over to Andrew and says, hey, there's some guys over here. They want, to, they want to know more about Jesus. What do we tell them? Andrew says, well, I don't know. Let's go tell Jesus. 
But these men, these Greeks, they did not go to the synagogue. They did not go seek the counsel of the Pharisees or Sadducees. They did not tune in to Joel Olstein to find their answer. They went to the ones who walked with Jesus. And the same is true today. All around this world, men, women, and children would see Jesus. If only there was someone to show them the way. But alas, there is so much confusion and corruption surrounding the doctrines of Christ today. And in all of this, in all of this confusion and all of this corruption, men are misled. They are abandoned and they are stranded on the rocks of false teachings. But the good news this morning is that there is still a light that shines unto all men. Turn with me, let's all go together to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the, what's that next word? Light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the, what's the next word? That all men through him might believe. He was not that, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Yes, there is a light, a true light, the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is the children of God that carry this light into darkness. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 we read, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So this morning you and I are the beacons that shine forth the true light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as a lighthouse on a rocky shore, we are to shine forth, pointing the way to Christ. I don't know if any of you have ever been out in the sea or or in the ocean. I spent a a fair part of my young life in the Gulf of Mexico. My father loved to go shrimp trawling, and he loved to drag me with him. I never wanted to go. I can't think of one time I ever wanted to go. But he brought me anyway. And many is the time in the midst of a, of a storm or something else, our only way to find our way home was to look for the lighthouses on the shore. And when we'd spot one of those lighthouses, we had direction. We had, a, we had a route. We had a way to go to safety. So we are to shine forth. You and I, we're the beacons. 
We don't produce the light. We simply, we simply shine the light of Christ. We're the beacons. We're to, we're to point the way. But how can we do this? How can we shine this light? Well, let me say this. We must show forth Jesus in our life. We need to, our life needs to shine with the light of Jesus Christ. But we're sinners. We're flesh. How can we do this? Well, let me share some thoughts with you this morning. Number one, we show forth Jesus by our walk among men. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. As we sit here this morning, we must be faithful to walk as children of the light. We must walk or live as children of God. But it is important to note that this walk This life must be carried into every path that we take. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Listen, it's very easy to live in the light of the Lord here in his church. It's easy to come here where, where everyone desires to to hear the preaching and teaching and we sing. and and It's easy to come here and and live a life pleasing to the Lord. Just to sit back comfortably and take in all the Lord provides. And it is important that we avail ourselves to the light of the gospel, exposing us to the changes we must make in our own life. It is important that we come here to this place and that we sit and that we be fed by the Spirit of God and that we receive that light. But it is also outside of this church that we must allow this light to shine forth. At home. On the job. In school. Even at the marketplace. We are to live our life before men. To the glory of God. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now given this truth, how do we walk as children of the light? Well, let me share some thoughts with you. First, letter A, we walk in faith. Hebrews 10.38 Now the just shall live by faith. Living, or in Bible terms, walking, living by faith is to live life in light of eternal, not temporal, consequences. When we live by faith, we don't consider the temporal consequences. We don't consider the immediate consequences of our actions. We live in light of eternal consequences. We we look ahead to the end of the road, knowing that the trials of this life are irrelevant and should not be compared to the glory that we will share with Christ. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And we live knowing that we cannot be defeated by this world. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, John writes, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So we live our life in light of eternal consequences, not the immediate, not temporal. We don't make decisions based upon the here and now. We make decisions based upon the unchanging, infallible word of God. And we prepare our hearts to face the consequences for doing so. Let me share some examples found with you in Scripture. I'd like you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we'll begin at verse 16. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. And we read here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stood by faith. They looked at the eternal consequences. They looked at the end of the path. They didn't, look in, they didn't look at the immediate consequences. What were the immediate consequences? If they didn't obey the king, they were going to be cast in the fiery furnace. They didn't concern themselves with that. They chose to, to walk in faith. And they chose to accept the consequences. I love what they told them. They said, we're not careful to answer you. In other words, they said, we're not afraid of you, king. We're not afraid of your law. We're not afraid of your, of your demands. It doesn't, doesn't concern us at all. They said, our God, if he so chooses, is able to deliver us from this furnace. But either way, now listen, this is what they're saying. But either way, king, whether you cast us in or you let us, you leave us alone, either way, we're done with you. We're done with you. That's what they said. They said, but be it known unto thee. Let's, let's go back to verse number 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Either way, king, throw us in, don't throw us in. We're not worshiping your gods. We're going to obey God the Father. We're going to live by our faith. And you're not going to change that. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Could we do that? Could you do that? I don't know if I could. I, I hope I could. I mean, I'd want to. But I don't know. God has never put me in. Lord, please don't test me. But God has never put me in that position. What about Job? Job, Job never did anything wrong. And the devil wanted to, wanted to tempt Job, so God allowed Job to be tested. 
And you, we all know the story. Everybody was coming to Job and saying, what, what, what are you doing? Just curse God and die. His wife came to him and said, why do you hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Just hurry up and die, would you? But what did Job say? In verse, chapter 13, verse 15, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to continue to live. And listen, Job didn't just have a paper cut. He, had, he was covered with, with oozing, seeping bowl, boils from head to toe. All of his children had been killed. All of his wealth had been robbed from him. I mean, Joel was on, the, was on the ash heap in the garden dump, scraping himself with broken pottery to ease the pressure on the boils on his body. What an existence to live for, huh? But Job said, even if he kills me, I'm going to trust in him. What about Daniel? Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. The king passed a law and told, told the people that they couldn't pray to any god. And we read in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees there three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel didn't close his blinds and put a, a dark cloth over it and blow out all the lights and go hide in the corner to pray. He opened his window and he knelt in the window and faced Jerusalem and prayed to God, just like he did every other day. Because he had enough faith to know that no matter what the consequences were, he was going to continue to walk in faith before his God. All these men could have compromised their faith. They could have spared themselves the trials they faced, but they chose to walk in faith, not fearing the consequences, but standing firm in, in their face. So we're to walk in faith, but then what else does it mean to walk as children of God? Secondly, B, is to walk in truth. Psalm eighty-six, eleven: Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth until my heart uh, Unite my heart to fear thy name. John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The scriptures conjoin truth and the word of God. They are inseparable. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The emphasis of truth here is on the word of God. One does not exist without the other. Truth does not exist without God's word. And God's word does not exist without truth. You see, truth is founded upon the unchanging and unalterable facts. Truth never changes. For if truth can be changed, it is not truth. If truth can be changed, it's merely opinion or conjecture. Truth is epitomized by the word of God. Therefore, <laughs> to walk in truth is to walk by biblical principles. From the thousands of pages of scripture, we find the principles by which we must live. 
And furthermore, in order to live by these principles, we must walk in the Spirit of God. We must live the Spirit-filled life. Would you turn with me for a moment to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. Let's begin in verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Just look at the attributes of this life, of this Spirit-filled life. Look at them again in, in verse number um, 23, or beginning at verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Is it any wonder that if we walk in the truth of God's word, the light of Christ will shine through us? And that we will be the beacon of light in a dark world? And that men will be drawn to that light? When we learn to walk in the Spirit, we show forth the attributes of Christ. And men are drawn toward that. Yes, we are to live our life solidly upon the principles of God's Word. We must walk in faith. We must walk in truth. But then thirdly, we must, let her see, walk in holiness. We must walk in holiness. Turn with me just to couple of books over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 10. We read here that ye might work worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who have delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, I preached an entire uh, series of lessons back in April of 2018 entitled In Pursuit of Holiness. So I'm not going to re-preach that message today. But I will remind us that we have been made holy, you and me, as God's children. We have been made holy by the work, sanctifying work of God himself. Without God working this in us, we could never hope to be holy. You and I could never live a life of holiness before God, were it not that God himself has changed our vile bodies and made us holy in his sight. Our lives would be lived in futility. We would strive to live in righteousness apart from the finished work of Christ at Calvary, and it would be utter failure. Therefore, we live in holiness because God has made us holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And the very God of peace 
sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Paul said that we are preserved blameless. This equates to holiness. But how can that be? Look at me for a moment. Are you blameless? I'm sure not. Are you holy on your own? No way. This is the work of the Father. This is the work of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Now that's Jesus. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh yes, we are holy today. And yes, we can walk in holiness, but not our own. Yet when we walk in his holiness, we shine forth as lights of Christ's righteousness. This is why we must live our lives in faith. This is why we must live our lives in the truth of God's word. We must live our lives in the holiness of Christ. So we show forth Jesus by our walk before men. You know, when I, was, when I was putting this message together, I, I stopped right here and I asked myself a question. Does my life show Jesus? I want you to ask yourself that question right now. Does your life show Jesus? And I'm not talking about the life here in church. I'm talking about the life out there in the world. When men look at you, do they say, There's something unique about that person. There's something different about him or her. They have something I want to know about. I want you to ask yourself that question. I asked myself that question when I got to this point. But we must move on. So number one is our walk before men. Number two is our worship before God. Our worship before God. And turn with me now to John, back to John again. John chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 21. We read here, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now this is a very familiar passage. The normal emphasis placed on this passage is Christ's witness to the Samaritan woman. And certainly, that is a good point of of emphasis in this passage of Scripture. However, most people pass right over the statement made by Jesus in verse 22, where he said, Ye worship, you know not what. In other words, he told her, you don't have any idea what you're worshiping. You don't have any idea how to worship. In other words, Jesus is telling her that she and others like her do not understand the true object and nature of worship. They were ignorant of God and righteous worship. And this is true in our our world today. 
Now, there, there are two elements to, to worship I want to look at real briefly, and we'll, we'll be done. First one is letter A, the object of worship. We won't be done with the message, by the way. We'll just be done with this point. Letter A, the object of worship. Jesus condemned the idolatrous worship of the Samaritans, and by extension, also that of the Gentile nations. They were ignorant, I said a moment ago. They were ignorant of God's righteous worship. Romans 10.3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And being ignorant, they turned to worshiping the creature more than the creator. Romans 12.5, Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I don't have time this morning to say everything that needs to be said right here. But let it suffice to say that today men have lost sight of the object of worship. And they've, they've begun to worship their own flesh. They begin to make themselves a god. And they've left off worshiping the true and righteous and holy God. But not only do we need to look at the nature of object of worship, but let her be the nature of worship. The purpose of our worship is to glorify, honor, praise, exalt, and please God. Our worship must show our admiration and loyalty to God for his grace. The nature of the worship God demands is the prostration of our souls before him in humble and contrite submission. Why do we worship God? What's the nature? Well, it's to, to glorify, honor, praise, exalt, and please Him. So we worship God today first because He is worthy. Revelation 4:11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We worship God because he's worthy of being worshipped. He alone is worthy. We worship God because it agrees with righteousness. Matthew 3.15 And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. We worship God because it, it agrees with righteousness. We worship God thirdly for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You know, everything we do is to bring glory to God. If we live our life in such a manner that it does not glorify God, then we are not, we cannot claim to be worshiping God. Because the nature of worship is to, to glorify God. So when you're on your job, I was talking to Lou about this this morning, the lack of work ethics today. I come across employees all the time who, with 30 minutes to go on the clock, are sitting down doing something other than work. And I, I got my group together, my staff together the other day, and I told them this. We have 155 employees who work here. If every employee takes a half hour a day and doesn't work, how many hours is that costing the company in just one day? 
155. What's half of 155? Some mathematician, real quick. That's a lot. It's a lot. Now multiply that times five for a week and then multiply it times 52 for a year. And we don't think anything of it. And we live our lives without giving any, any consideration whatsoever to the glory of God. We want to please our flesh. We want to do what we want to do. And no preacher or no Bible or no gospel message is going to tell me I can't do it. And that's okay. You're going to have to answer for that. But it robs God of his glory. So don't walk around saying you worship God. We worship God because he is worthy. Because it agrees with righteousness. And for his glory. And then lastly, and I have to hurry. We show Jesus in our willingness to work. We show Jesus by our walk before men. We show Jesus by our worship before God and then by our willingness to work. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you notice we are called a peculiar people? Now, this, that doesn't mean we're weirdos. Okay? Doesn't mean that we're a bunch of weird people running around town. We're peculiar people because it identifies us as those different from the world. People of a peculiar, of a particular, I'm sorry, people of a particular redemption. Sanctified and separated unto God's purpose. Luke chapter 9, verse 32. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. As God's children, we must work. As a child of God, we cannot help but work. Because it is in our nature to do the work of the Lord. James chapter 2 and verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith. By my works. Now we're not saved by works. But our works sure, sure show Christ in our life, doesn't it? James, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good, what's that next word? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Before we were saved, God ordained that we would walk in the works of Christ, that we would live our life to the glory of God. He ordained it. We must do it. We may falter from time to time, moment to moment, but the spirit within us will draw us back and pull us back to Christ. If you, if you this morning... If you can live your life in complete rebellion to biblical principles and have no conscience about it, you best check things out in your life. Something's wrong. Whereas we did live to satisfy, satisfy the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we now live to fulfill God's purpose for our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, 
if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this new creature desires to serve his or her God. And while we serve God willingly and faithfully, we show forth the light of Jesus. These Greeks said, we would see Jesus. There are people that you meet every day that need to see Jesus. And you just might be the lighthouse that will show the way. You might be the only Bible they'll ever read. You might be the only sermon they will ever hear preached. I prayed this morning that my feeble attempts to preach God's word will help us this morning to examine our hearts and our minds, to examine our lives, and to see the importance of our walk before men, how we live our life, how we conduct our daily lives is important to those around us. It's important to our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers, our neighbors. We need to see the importance of our worship before God. That our worship needs to be biblical and scriptural. That we walk in holiness, but not a holiness that we, that we ourselves have, 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 have produced, but a holiness that God has, has indwelt upon us. See the importance of our willingness to work. Willingness to sacrifice in our life. Willingness to lay things aside. Willingness to put God first and foremost in our life. Put God in the center of everything we do. If we do that, if we live our lives in such a way, men will see Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I do pray that all that we said today would be as you desired. And certainly none of us in this room today can can stand and, and declare that we are perfect in all these things. Lord, preaching is designed to make, you, make us think. It's designed to, to make us see truth. And it's designed to cause us to make changes in our life. To, to live in accordance with you and your word. So I pray today that you would have liberty in our lives. Thank you for all who are here. I pray, Lord, that everything that was said would be useful to your children. Bless us as we go and help us to, to live our lives in such a manner that Jesus will be seen. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things, for it's in your name and to your glory that we do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 
or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.